welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in Zoom land with Dr. Amanda Rico, resume expert, editorial specialist, and career strategist at Rico Editorial Services. Amanda, how are you doing this Friday Everything going well for you and your family this week? Going well. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. You know, Houston, we're we're in a really tight spot right now, but we're all, <laughs> yeah. we're all surviving, right? I mean, everyone around the globe is just surviving right now. Yeah, no, it is survival mode. It's interesting. And this will get released in a while, but Harris County recently is, you know, the numbers have increased. And so it's crazy because it kind of comes in waves. You know, obviously everyone's worked from home and there was a strict quarantine and then things started to lift. People were obviously reluctant to doing so. And now the numbers are showing, oh, you know, here's where we are. And so now, you know, for myself, I was at the office for about three weeks. And then, you know, management decided to sort of, you know, make a statement and, and just kind of, hey, we need to be back at the house and stay safe. And so, yeah, it, I don't know. I feel like the rest of the year is going to be kind of a yo-yo as to, you know, how things play out. But nonetheless, I really appreciate you reaching out. I've been following, you know, what you've been doing on LinkedIn. You've certainly made some great strides in just connecting with the community, helping people with all sorts of facets with with getting back into the job market or providing actionable items. And so, you know, first I want to, you know, thank you for everything that you've done helping our our industry and connecting to people in order to help them, you know, get to where they need to be because Certainly times are tough and, you know, that was the whole point of getting you on here is, is to provide the listeners with some actual items and, and educate them on, you know, from a, from a professional level, what, you know, and then obviously you can talk about it, but just, just, just be able to help people get back into the job market or maybe the ones that who are in the job market, things to really be focused on to make sure that they position themselves well in the marketplace. And, and so things of like, you know, things of that nature. So Amanda, you know, first and foremost, I always like to kind of get to know a little bit, you know, about the person behind the microphone. So where are you from and and where did you grow up? Sure, man, you're taking me back here. Right? No, that's the whole point. (laughs) Yeah. So I was actually born in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. Up north, love being from the north, love being in the snow. But my mom decided that we were going to shift over to Oklahoma. And I was about nine or so. And so we went over to Oklahoma. I spent some of my formative years in Broken Arrow in Tulsa which I have a lot of friends, you know, a lot of my network is also from Oklahoma. Got my BA and my MA in English from the University of Oklahoma. So don't hate anyone that's OSU or UT. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) There's, that's always a good rival. It's always, I always ask people, 
you know, why did they pick one from the other? And there's, it's from a lot of times, and I don't know if it's in your case, but it's like, oh, well, you know, my parents or my cousins or uncle and aunt, you know, told me to go there. And so therefore I went there. And, it, <laughs> and it's funny because probably about six houses down from where I live, there's a family that lives there. And the husband went to, I forget which one is which, but one went to OSU and one went to OU. So they have, uh, they have yeah. a flag in the yard that like that divides it. And so I always have to laugh when I go over there because, you know, one's always wearing colors from one, you know, school to the other. And so I'm like, well, what are your kids going to do? You know, like, what, yeah. like ultimately, you know, are you going to split it down the middle or, yeah. but it's just, it's, it's funny. So uh, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's always, no. it's always interesting conversation. It is funny. And I mean, you know, I had no ties to University of Oklahoma before going there. All of my family is from Michigan. So I mean, what the reason that I went to OU was actually because of their global community. They had a huge Francophone population and I actually speak French. Ah, (laughs) I went to French immersion school growing up. So I've lost a lot of it, but I can certainly read it and speak it a little bit. But yeah. I don't think we should pursue this podcast in French because it'll probably take me forever. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, I love the community there. Met a lot of awesome friends there. We had a huge, actually, salsa dancing. I got into salsa dancing a lot there. And okay, good for you. Yeah, and tons of friends in the Francophone community from Algeria, Morocco, Congo, you know, all the way up to Paris. So it was a really great time for me to be making those connections and figure out what I, you know, the, the direction that I wanted to take. My husband there, of course, Ruben Rico, and he's a senior drilling engineer, actually. So I started learning a lot about the EMP industry through him. And I just remember, I actually remember helping him with a research paper on diamond drill bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, that speaks my language a little bit. Yeah, I started asking him a lot of questions. You know, what's wellbore casing? What's downhole tubing? What's this? What's that? And, you know, it's just been over, you know, I think 10 or 11 years now of just developing my knowledge of, you know, oil and gas industry terms and phrasing and background. And it's, he's awesome. He, he knows so much since he worked for a midstream operator. So he got to wear a lot of different hats and be in you know, production and roughnecking and completions and drilling and all sorts of stuff. So now he's actually shifted to midstream. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, no, the oil and gas industry will definitely put you in a lot of different roles and and it'll, it'll certainly force you to wearing a a bunch of different hats. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting Ruben, you know, just on a, on a very small number of times, but yeah, either way it's, it's interesting drilling. I've always been in drilling. And so I have, you know, a a biased liking towards it, but it's, it's interesting, you know, from your perspective, obviously helping and getting into that market and helping people, you know, basically at the end of the day, trying to get jobs within the market. It's interesting to have an idea of, of what, they do, you know, obviously you don't need to know all te- terms and, you know, technical concepts, but having an understanding to be able to talk the lingo a little bit, I think certainly helps people and it puts them a little bit at ease from, you know, from just to be able to trust that you understand them, I think is, is important. And so, yeah, so, so following school, obviously you, you said you met Ruben during that time. And then what did, what did life look like after school for you? Oh man, well, I went back to school, Justin. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, we moved to Houston, which I love Houston, love being in Texas in a big city and pursued my doctorate. So awesome. I ended up going to Texas A&M, getting my, my PhD from there in English. And 
you know, couldn't have been happier to have had that done. My career trajectory was, you know, interesting because I was in a position where I was an academic, wanted to become a tenured professor, but realized that the market was really, really bad. So in a really similar position to a lot of people right now, I realized I didn't want to go into the academic job market, didn't want to uproot my family and have to move for, you know, ugh, who knows where for a job. And so I had to figure out how to hustle and get out because none of my professors would help me. They all wanted me to stay in academia. So I ended up, you know, really, really hustling, taking a lot of unpaid work, you know, volunteering a lot, doing my best to kind of develop my resume to make sure that I was transitioning smoothly and ended up landing a position at a nonprofit and became, you know, worked my way up to director. and. You know, whenever I got into that position, I realized, hey, this is what I want to do for a living. I want to help people transition. You know, during that time, I had worked with a lot of, you know, colleagues and professors who were in similar positions who wanted to get out but didn't know how. Right. And so I was helping them convert their CVs to resumes or guide them along in their path to figure out how to, you know, hustle and get out. So, yeah, I mean, I... I figured out my passion through that experience. You know, I realized that, okay, this isn't the right industry for me. I'm scared. I'm frustrated. I'm, you know, honestly just devastated. This was my goal. (laughs) (laughs) How do I figure, you know, how do I go to a new place from here? So, you know, working with energy and petroleum professionals helping them through this period, especially during the pandemic and this downturn. It's just something I'm passionate about. I'm honestly really, really interested in their struggles, which is why I engage on LinkedIn and offer polls so that I can get their perspective on what they need help with rather than me just tossing ideas at them. Yeah, no. And that, and you can see that, like I said, the, the amount of engagement and content that you've been putting out is, is, is impressive. So kind of going back, you know, you, you said you found your passion during that time to really help others. You know, I'm sure you had that passion maybe before, but it just hadn't maybe reached the surface for you to make that realization. But have you always had the passion to help others I mean, was that always something or did it just something slowly eventually develop because you had empathy towards people that maybe weren't, didn't necessarily have the resources or opportunities? Or can you kind of speak on like the why aspect as to why you like helping others? Because I always think that's really important to, to know. Sure. Well, you know, my background really was in teaching. So I loved working with young professionals. Mm-hmm. What the bulk of my work has been really is working with young professionals and helping to develop them into, you know, leaders, into leaders in their career. And I loved, I mean, I loved working with students, you know, as a university instructor and, you know, even whenever I taught high school English, I love how fresh and how approachable students are. And so that's really what I always try to bring to the table when I'm engaging with people, even if it's, you know, whether it's an entry level client all the way up to an executive level client, I try to make sure that I'm very transparent and approachable and direct. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, should I do this? I'll tell them directly. I'll say, absolutely, that's the right choice. Or like, no, don't do that. (laughs) Right. And I work best with people who, you know, respond to that type of, of transparency and honesty. And that's really, 
why I love helping people so much is because most people want that. They, they don't want the fluff. They don't want the, the sugar coating. They want to be told, yes, this is a good move or no, in my experience, this is not a good move. Yeah, no, I can identify with you. I mean, helping and serving others provides a level of gratification that is far greater than a lot of things in life. And so, you know, I always applaud people that are in that service and in that position who do well, because there's a lot of people who, you know, people get into different industries for different reasons. But ultimately, if it's really to just help others succeed and, and see growth within communities and different organizations and people, you know, that, that, that speaks volumes for the type of character that per individual has. So let's talk a little bit about something that is very relatable. Obviously, right now, everyone understands the market conditions are terrible. The supply of people out there far surpasses the demand. So like, what does the current landscape look like from your side of the fence as someone who's trying to pull people into positions and find employment? Like, can you speak a little bit on the mindset that you have right now? Because obviously, it would be silly to say like, I can get everyone who needs a job a job because it's the ultimate, right. you know, ultimately it doesn't, it's not like that. So how are you navigating that right now? Sure. My perspective is really one of support right now. You know, I always circle around with my clients weekly. I go back around to them, send them LinkedIn messages and ask them how their search is going, you know, ask them, Hey, how many applications have you put out or how many people have you connected with just to really support and encourage them in their hustle. Yeah. And I use the word hustle very purposely because it really is a hustle out there right now. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And always offer, you know, any kind of feedback to them if they're like, hey, I applied to this job, but didn't get a response back. And just to support them and say, the problem is not you. The problem is the job market right now. And of course, offer suggestions, you know. So if there's someone who is, for instance, you know, an operations manager, suggesting, hey, have you looked into different industries? Have you looked into the industrial industry or manufacturing? Have you looked globally? You know, there are some positions opening up in XYZ country. So anything that crosses my path or any connections that I have, especially to HR and recruiters, I'm always keeping a sharp eye out for anything that could be relatable to my clients. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you hit it on the head with regards to just being a support system and more of a mentor I think is, is obviously important. Keeping a level of confidence and optimism, I would imagine, is, is certainly something that people are looking for because, I mean, people understand the market and, and the fundamentals that are, you know, challenging them from actually getting jobs because there's not a lot out there. But what would you say, you know, through all the people that you've dealt with or maybe directly or indirectly, what's the biggest mistake people are making after getting, say, laid off? Like, is there something oh. that you see that you just look at that and you're like, what are you doing? Like, low-hanging fruit. Like, can you speak on that? Yes, 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 I can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so starting with baby steps, I'm talking to a lot of people who want to jump into a new industry that is completely outside of their purview just to apply and see if they get it. So I would say number one, make sure that you're not sending the same resume to every single different job. Great point. Right. So you have to target your resume, even if it's just targeted to the industry. Right. So say that you're in technical sales and you have one blanket resume and you're trying to apply for sales positions inside and outside oil and gas. You can't just send the same resume out to all those different positions. One has to be targeted to oil and gas and the other one, you need to create different versions. The other ones have to be targeted to that different industry. 
So for instance, one huge concern that I've been seeing with a lot of you know, people that I'm chatting with is people, especially in technical sales or business development or things like that, wanting to get into a very niche industry like healthcare okay, and having no background in it. Interesting. So, That's a good point. Yeah. Something like pharmaceutical sales. If you don't have a background in it, you need to get some base experience before, before wasting time applying for these types of positions, especially if you have a resume that's very oil and gas focused. If you're just tossing out that resume to a pharmaceutical sales position, you're wasting your time. That's a very good point. Yeah. So really think through targeting resumes. And it looks like based on my poll, I'm going to be talking about targeting resumes next week. So that'll be a good topic. On. Yeah, no, that's, you know, I never, I mean, I've considered it, but, you know, maybe ignorant to the resume sort of field of things. I, you know, I keep mine somewhat updated, but, you know, I've been extremely blessed to not have to use it very much lately. But, but regardless, I mean, that's something that I think everyone needs to consider is, is understanding, like, if someone's looking to hire somebody, yeah, having a little bit of fit for purpose resume probably would be a huge advantage. And then maybe something, you know, because a lot of people are, like you said, just pumping out as many resumes as they can and, and thinking it's a numbers game when actually there's certainly some strategy that comes along with it from what it sounds like. Right. And those, and I, I say this, this one in particular, because a lot of people are applying for positions at Amazon right now. I'd say about three of every five people that I talk to on a daily basis are wanting to apply to an Amazon job. Yeah. <laughs> be very, yeah. and that's because Amazon's hiring, right? Yeah. I would just say to be very mindful to anyone thinking of applying to these types of jobs, be very mindful of the job description. So the reason why companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Google have job descriptions that are hyper detailed and use terms like architecture or infrastructure or whatever is because they're actually trying to weed out applicants. So For sure. Makes so sense. If yeah. Don't. Yeah. If you don't include phrases like that, if you're not building in phrases like infrastructure, architecture, different terms that are used in that job description, when the scanning systems see your resume and read it, and they don't see those terms, it's going to get kicked out. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. Cause I would imagine they, you know, with technology nowadays, I would assume it's not someone sitting behind a desk reading every resume. Like uh -uh. Is, is, is there like sort of some, some software, some AI, or I don't know what the right terminology is, be able to there like properly is. filter. Cause I would imagine there's thousands of resumes that get submitted to, especially companies like that, that, you know, you, you've got to, you know, hack the system to make sure yours stays in, in the system somehow. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, well, no, a lot that's... of the Fortune five hundreds they use those scanning systems. So if you okay. don't include the weird the words and phrases that are on those job descriptions, it's it's just like you're wasting your time again. It's, yeah, no, that's and it's uh... frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. No, it's I mean that's some serious value add for the listeners out there. So that that's that's a good one. I appreciate you mentioning that. What about folks that are graduating from school right now? Like, yeah, obviously they, a lot of people say, Hey, like, how can I add to my resume when I, I need the opportunity from someone to add to my resume? Can you touch a little bit on recent grads and, and what you suggest or anything that you can add to, to help them out? For sure. I've actually worked with a couple of recent grads lately, and some of them have even been losing their internships, which is really, really frustrating. Because that's just value lost, right? I mean, you're losing that period of time that most oil and gas companies need you 
to be having those internships are requiring it, expecting it. So what I've been suggesting a lot to new grads is two things. All right, well, more than two, but I'll give you two. The first thing is to have virtual networking resources that you've built. Okay, so some of those virtual networking resources can be a virtual business card that you create. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's something that's really, really helpful. And I think a lot of new grads out there, they know a lot of software and they may recognize the term Canva. But Canva is an online software that you can actually have access to. I think that using the free software option through Canva, you can actually build your own business card there. It's a high quality, high resolution image that you can, yeah, you can create your business card on there and then save it to your phone. So you save the PNG to your phone so that whenever you're networking with people on LinkedIn or email or, you know, just calling, you can text them your business card or you can add it to a message. So that's pretty cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's really, really helpful. And you can curate your business card however you want to. I mean, say you're a recent grad, you know, in petroleum engineering or something, you can curate that to saying that you have a background in drilling and completions, workovers, you know, stuff like that. So you can have, you know, multiple options in how you build that business card that you send out to people. And what's great about having a virtual one is that if you get reactions like, what does this mean? Or people aren't responding how you want, you just go in and change it. So yeah, you didn't order these business cards, right? You didn't have to pay 30 bucks or whatever for a stack of a hundred. Right. You just go into the software, change the terminology, the coloring, the phrasing, maybe the font, maybe the font is tough to read. And then save it. And I think for anyone, honestly, I think that's a great thing to have regardless. I mean, obviously companies, if you're working for someone that they have business cards, but to be honest, like, I mean, not a lot of people hand out business cards anymore, or if they do, it's, it's more of a, a, a comical joke. Like I remember being at a networking function and some people had business cards and some people just like quite simply asked, like, well, do you have LinkedIn? Yeah, that's probably right. better. So, you know, I laugh when, when people hand out business cards, a lot of times it's like, they'll laugh and say, well, I need to get rid of these. Do you want one? And it's, you know, it's almost <laughs> like, it's kind of like an embarrassed. It's, I don't know. It's funny. We're in this funny transition with the way we've digitalized everything. And so having a virtual business card, I think makes the most sense. And even maybe for companies to adopt that, like, like HR departments say, you know, here's your, or I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's a neat concept. And so I appreciate you bringing that up. It's neat to see how things like that have evolved. Well, and for new grads, it's, it's important, right? Because they're trying to find ways to professionalize themselves. So, you know, for someone like you, who's in a senior level position, having a business card, isn't a thing. You've already networked your way to the top. Sure. But for a new grad, they're doing, they're having to hustle to like, make sure that they look like they stand out and like they are already at a professional level rather than just being a student. So that's why I always suggest the business card so that you're putting your best foot forward and really looking professional. Very cool. This man, I tell you, this is adding a bunch of value for the listeners out there. So hopefully, hopefully everyone's taking notes because it's certainly something I'm going to re-listen to and take some notes myself. Can you touch on interviews? And, and if so, what are some, some sort of interesting things that you've seen with regards to the evolution of interviews and how they are kind of structured now? Because I've talked to some folks, my brother-in-law, 
you know, he's, he, he's gone through quite a few different interview processes recently. Even my father-in-law who got laid off in the first down, well, I say first, for a lot of people, it was their first one a few years ago. And so he got laid off during that downturn and still hasn't been able to get a job. And, and I'm sure there's certainly some factors that contribute to that with regards to how the market's changing and totally different, you know, story for another day. However, even he's told me he went probably 30 years in his career without ever needing to go to a interview. And he said, now going to an interview, he's because before it would be technical, like, you know, here's this technical problem and how would you solve it? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. ask him more theoretical technical questions because that was his background was, you know, engineering and design. And, and now people are asking him questions that make are making him think more on the, like a personal level, like how would you react to this situation? You know, like, yeah. And so he's really kind of taken back by it. So can you speak a little bit on, on that? And, and, and I'm sure that's a big topic. So maybe kind of narrowing it down to like what people really should be prepared for when going into interviews for say people who hadn't had to had an interview in a decade or so. Cause that's the reality is a lot of people are having interviews right now that haven't had them in a long time. Right. And everything is virtual. Yeah. Good point. That just adds to the frustration, right? I mean, even people who are adept at Zoom or Skype or whatever, you know, you jump on an interview and there's technical difficulties and you're feeling frustrated and concerned and how they see you. Maybe you had too much coffee that morning and you feel zoomed up and you're, (laughs) you you know, you're, you're nervous. And you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of interviews now have to do with soft skills. And I think that it generally depends on the company and the people. So that's one thing that I would really suggest is if you are going in for an interview, you absolutely have to spend at least two hours researching the company and researching the people. So find out who the decision makers are, especially find out who the HR people are, because more than likely they're going to be the ones in on that interview. At least one of them will be. And you want to find as much about them as you can. I mean, be creepy. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> stalk <laughs> yeah. them. Okay. Look them up on LinkedIn. See if they have any content you can follow. The best way that you can succeed in an interview is to just be so hyper prepared that whenever you go in, you're comfortable. Yes. And it sounds simple, but I, I think a lot of people maybe miss the mark when on the level of detail that they think they should know before going into interview with regards to that company. Cause you know, certainly looking at folks that have come in from, you know, getting hired onto our company, I can always appreciate when people ask, you know, obviously given the opportunity asking questions about the company that maybe they've researched, Oh, tell me, you know, I noticed this, tell me a little bit about that and, and really engaging in conversation. Cause it, again, it, it certainly separates a lot of people when they come in understanding maybe either how the business works or maybe some, whether it's technology that they've recently deployed and, you know, and, and even about the person who's interviewing them, if they can kind of understand me, cause you can tell a lot from whether it's LinkedIn or, you know, if, if for some reason you can find them on other social media platforms, understanding sort of, you know, what makes them tick or even just some common interests is, is certainly goes a long way, or at least I, it would for me if I was hiring somebody and they exactly. came in and then had that level of precision with regards to, you know, just understanding how the business works. And that's what I always say. Think like the VP. Yeah. Right. Think about what that VP would want to hear from you. You know, a huge thing that I'm seeing right now that I would really caution people who are going into interviews is to not be too personal. 
Okay. Okay. So do not share or divulge too much personal information. I completely understand that people are in a really tough spot right now and it's very unique. And the interviewers may even ask you personal details or some of those soft, you know, soft skill questions may come across as them wanting to know more in-depth details about you, but be very, very cautious about answering those questions unless you're going to phrase it in such a way that, you know, for instance, say you had a disability or say you had a health concern, always flip it for them. Okay. So how, you know, a good way to do this would be, yes, you know, I, I dealt with a debilitating, you know, health issue over, you know, the course of three months, but I, you know, found a way to overcome this issue and networked my way to XYZ or something like that, right? So instead of focusing on, you know, the issue that you had and kind of going on and on about that issue or something like that, to really flip it and make sure that you're addressing the issue as a solution. Yeah, yeah. Turn the what could per- be perceived as a negative into a positive and and use it to show, yeah, like the level of character or ambition or, you know, willingness to overcome challenges because that, I mean, that's, that's what people ultimately want, or at least, you know, what I would imagine they would anyway. So, but no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned LinkedIn and it's, I think, you know, to me, LinkedIn is like the new Facebook for professionals. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but but the, the, the level of organic reach and connectivity that you can have on LinkedIn is is tremendous. And, and it's to me right now, it's still very underpriced for what you get. I mean, it's virtually free for most people. And then you can get the LinkedIn sales navigator, which, you know, for me, it's been worth the investment. Can you touch on how important LinkedIn is and, and maybe some tips on how to <laughs> present yourself? And the, the first question I'm going to have, and it kills me to see it whenever I see it, but maybe it's a good thing is when people have on their about or on their thing, it'll say, you know, whoever, and then it says seeking for opportunities. Yes. Like, can you please address that? <laughs> yes. No, I, I'd love to. I, I actually mentioned that in my post this week because I was talking about attracting recruiters, yeah. right? So LinkedIn, I mean, you're absolutely right. LinkedIn is probably the most important tool that you can use in your job search. And I don't say that lightly. It is more important than your resume. It is more important than, than pretty much anything because that is how recruiters are finding you. That's how HR is vetting you is through LinkedIn. 93% of recruiters find you on LinkedIn. So you have to have, you know, a clear photo, you know, in color of you smiling, just your face. And, you know, there are so many people that I see that have pictures of, you know, their beautiful families and, but I can't see who they are. I don't know which one in the photo is (laughs) them. (laughs) If I can give one tip, (laughs) it is to you know, really keep the the family photos and things like that for platforms like Facebook or Instagram. And for LinkedIn, really have a photo that features just your face that looks just like a professional headshot. Yep. No, that's 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 a good one. That's a really big one. Sunglasses or no sunglasses? No sunglasses. (laughs) Nope. You want to look approachable. You don't want to try to look cool. Don't yeah. do it in black and white. Do it in color. Yeah. Don't try to look too artsy or anything like that. Think what an employer would want to see. Yeah. Right? So think yeah. about if they were looking on LinkedIn and you wanted them to hire you, 
what are they going to want to see? And that definitely feeds right into the headline, the Seeking Opportunities headline. Remove that, please. Remove it. Everyone out there who's listening, that tells recruiters nothing about your competencies. It tells them nothing about your background or your skill. Yes. So what this does whenever you have Seeking Opportunities is a recruiter is going to bounce onto your profile look at your photo and then look at your title. And then if it doesn't catch their attention, they're going to bounce right off. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And they're gone. That recruiter is gone. You just missed an opportunity. So put in your headline, something that is related specifically to your core competencies or your skills. Right. So if you're a senior drilling engineer who specializes in high pressure, high temperature wells, if you drilled in the Permian, have global and international experience, things like that, include these types of things in your content and in your headline. So one thing that I've been doing that's been working really well for my clients is building a custom banner too. So a lot of, it's tough, right? I mean, I mentioned, you know, recruiters bouncing on and off. So it's important to remember that LinkedIn, whether it's a professional resource or not, it's still social media. So if you don't catch people's attention in a few seconds, again, they're going to bounce off. And your banner is one of the most important ways and one of the most, you know, significant ways that you can catch people's attention right off the bat. And whenever you just have a blue background, you're missing a huge opportunity for them to see what you're all about. So one thing that's been working really well is just creating a custom banner that just has your top you know, four or five competencies, you know, so say you're a reservoir engineer and some of your, you know, the things you excel at are risk management and finance analysis, and you have 13 plus years of experience that should go in your banner. Right. For sure. No, that's again, like such valuable takeaways. And so, yeah, I think, I think people underestimate the power of LinkedIn and then really how it can like the little things can affect the outcome of, of who's looking and, and what kind of attention you're grabbing. So again, I really appreciate it. I mean, I'm sure people pay you a lot of money to give up a lot of these tips. So <laughs> certainly it's, it's been a pleasure and, and I'm enjoying the conversation. But before we get off here, I want to always like to ask kind of a, a question to wrap things up. But is there a message that you'd like to relay, assuming everyone out there or everyone say within the oil and gas industry is listening to right now that is trying to get a job. I mean, can you, can you tie it up in, into one sort of sentence or, or just ideal ideology to, to help people with some positivity before we sign off? Yeah. I mean, you know, at the risk of sounding like a motivational speaker, I mean, really just keep hustling, right? So what you're doing will work. You know, I'm working with people who are in senior level positions, primarily with 30 plus years of experience sometimes. And, you know, if you don't have a four-year degree, it's okay. You're, you know, in any other time period, you would already be hired. Yeah. So just remember that the issue is not you. The issue is this downturn right now. And this is happening to everyone. I know that that, you know, doesn't give you any actionable, you know, thing to be doing except just to say hustle. But I would really, really advise people, don't take this time to completely tune out. Take this time to really get your materials ready, get prepped because whenever oil and gas comes back, it's not going to come back with a boom. It's going to come back slowly. And HR and recruiters, they're going to be finding people. They're going to be searching and 
you want to make sure that you're ready for that opportunity. Right. Absolutely. No, that those are great closing last words. Well, Amanda, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit and, and discuss some Likewise. tips. And so what we'll do is obviously I'll put your link in the show notes with regards to your website. You're doing a lot of great things. You've got a fantastic reputation. I've seen, you know, obviously on your LinkedIn profile, some of the folks that you've worked with. So I encourage anyone out there, just please reach out to Amanda. I'll also put your LinkedIn link in the show notes. And are there any other sort of plugs that you'd like to make with regards to, you know, what you're doing at your editorial services? No, I mean, you know, come visit me, come, you know, check out my Tuesday and Thursday tips and, and I hope they help. And yeah, I look forward to meeting anyone that comes my way. Awesome, man. Well, I certainly appreciate it. And thanks for everything you're doing, helping the industry. And hopefully we can maybe do a round two and, and get together in person here for the next Definitely. one. Definitely. Yeah. Once the pandemic passes, for sure. Right. Exactly. Well, for everyone out there, certainly appreciate it. And always remember when the gas is up and the density's down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.